Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 117 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. It's getting down to the wire. <laughs> sure is, sure is. For those of you joining us for the first time, this is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. We're Father Sunday here to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as the wider things going on in the world of college football. And Nebraska had a bye this week, so it'll be more on the national side of things before we preview our upcoming game against Wisconsin. And Dad, today you are actually uh, outside because you needed to try to get some better signal at your campsite. So that's why the listeners might hear a little background noise. Sitting outside my RV, enjoying the beautiful Phoenix weather. All right. So to dive into things, uh, we're going to begin with our tradition of cracking open a cold beverage on both sides. Uh, Today I have a... Uh, Modelo to uh, to crack for us. Ooh, one of your Uncle Joe's favorite beers. <laughs> love the old Modelo, and I I'm drinking just an old traditional Miller Light. I, you know, I'm going on a diet, so I got to watch my calories. There you go. But I still want a cold beer. <laughs> Here we go. All Ready? Right. Cheers. Ah, uh, that tastes good, actually. All right. So to dive into things, uh, on the previous week's podcast, we gave our usual predictions for some of the upcoming games. Um, and the big game that we were interested in was the uh, Michigan-Penn State game. Um, I actually got some work done in my car recently, and as part of that, uh, they gave me three months of Sirius XM for free, uh, which worked out kind of nicely because I... Uh, traveled to this uh, video game tournament this weekend that was about an hour away. So I actually used that to listen to the end of both the Baylor game and the Michigan uh, Penn State game. Um, so I got that on the radio and then watched some highlights on YouTube to get a sense of the game. Um, but both of us predicted that Michigan would win, and I predicted 35 28, whereas you predicted 27 uh, 17. And the final score ended up being 21-17, so uh, closer than either of us were expecting. And Michigan had to uh, kind of find a way to pull ahead there in the fourth quarter because they were down near the end of the game. Right, right. Well, and again, a a little bit like the Michigan State game. You know, there was points in the game where you thought Michigan was on the verge of taking control and really probably should have, but then didn't and then uh, let Penn State hang around, hang around. And then, and then it looked like maybe Penn State was going to, you know, use the crowd and the, and the energy of that to, to be successful and, and pull off an upset. But they didn't. Yeah. Well, frankly, I think actually it might have been a little bit reversed because um, Penn State ended up kicking multiple field goals in that game. Um and uh, actually, there was special teams was quite important um, because uh, right at the beginning of the game, they were stopped. It was like a fourth and six, and they went on their first drive of the game, and they went for a trick, uh, trick punt that worked, that got them a first down, kept that drive alive, and they still got stopped, um, like in the red zone. But then they kicked a field goal, went up three to nothing. Um, so they and they scored three field goals over the course of the game, and there really there should have been a fourth one because there was another time where they were stopped in the red zone, went for the field goal, and then they tried another trick play, uh, but that one got swallowed up. Yep, yep. Well, and um, my my point is is that early in that game, though, in that first half, there was a point in time where Michigan could have easily been up, you know, a solid uh, ten points if they had made some better decisions. I really blame the coaching more coaching and play calling uh, on the Michigan side seemed pretty bad. And frankly, then on the uh, Penn state side as well, I think both coaches out coach themselves a little bit in that game. Mm. Made it a little too complicated. You think? Yeah. Well, like, like going for that. Um, if, if you're going to go for it on fourth down near the goal line, uh, instead of doing a second, uh, fake 
you know, first, first you did a fake punt and then, uh, you come right around the next opportunity and you do a fake field goal. Right. And if you're going to do that, I would have rather just called two plays knowing, you know, if you knew you were going to do that, which a decision like that is usually made quite a ways in advance. Like that's part of the game plan, right? Well, then just line up, run two plays and see if you can score a touchdown. If that's your plan. And then plan on holding them back, you know, um, if you turn it over on downs kind of thing. Uh, it's early in the game, so I don't, I don't have a problem with going for it on fourth. I think the problem was trying, trying to do a fake for the second time in the game. Right. The, since it worked the first time, of course, you know, they're going to be a little more on edge, you know, watching for a, a fake the second time. So, yeah, I, I would Absolutely. agree with you there. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was that uh, Michigan's defense was getting a lot of pressure on their quarterback and sacked him several times, um, forced him to turn the ball over, I think, once or twice as well. But uh, Michigan's offense kind of struggled to capitalize on some of those opportunities um, until right, like I said, right late in the fourth quarter, I think there was only like four minutes to go or something like that. And then they got this big like 70 yard play for a touchdown that brought them up to 21 and that ended up stealing the game for them. Right. Exactly. But you know what? Here's the thing. They're, they're a team that has, you know, that we almost beat, maybe should have beat, you know, uh, Michigan state beat them. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they have had their struggles and yet here they sit, you know, uh, now with only one loss, and staring down the barrel of, you know, uh, if they can avoid the, the hiccup game at Maryland, they're going to be competing with uh, Ohio State for the Big Ten East championship and the likely Big Ten championship with a you know, top ten matchup and the whole nation watching. Mm-hmm. And yep. their team isn't any better than ours, <laughs> except for, except for uh, special teams and coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'd quite go that far because obviously they do have some physical talent that we don't have. Um, but oh yeah, yeah. But but I, I get your point. But I mean, both these teams, Michigan and Penn State and Oklahoma, who we'll talk about later. You know, we were within striking distance of beating all those teams. Right. So um, one of the other games uh, that was big from that particular week, uh, as I mentioned, was uh, Baylor versus Oklahoma. Uh, Baylor was coming off of a tough loss the previous week to TCU, um, and we were talking about how devastating that was for them on last week's podcast. Um, Meanwhile, you had undefeated Oklahoma playing in that game, um, and it was quite an ugly game. Uh, both of both teams like turned the ball over early on. It was zero zero after the first quarter. Both teams missed field goals. I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, it was only ten to seven by the beginning of the fourth quarter, which you know for the two of the best teams in the Big Twelve is quite unusual, right? So yeah, it was a bit of a weird, uh, sloppy game. Two turnovers by each team. Um, yeah, and, and special teams turned yep. out to be. A big factor because those missed field goals by Oklahoma really would have come in clutch later on. Yes, absolutely. No, it, it was. It was not a not what we would call a typical Big Twelve game. No, definitely not. And uh, brutal for Oklahoma. Um, we'll talk about the full playoff rankings a little more later. But they were, I believe, eighth previously, and now they've dropped down to thirteenth. So they have a, definitely a tougher road to getting into that uh, playoff discussion than they did before. Now with this loss, oh yeah, I, yeah, no, it's it's almost. I mean, it's not statistically impossible, but it's le- legitimately impossible at this point. I think in two weeks, no, too late. Yep. We'll have to see. They they play uh, Oklahoma State at the end of the year as their rivalry game, and now Oklahoma State is ranked above them. So right. they really need to win that one right. if they right. want to still have a chance. In a little bit, uh, they probably will. You know, they probably will. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, they're, they're a team that's dodged a lot of bullets this season, you know, like kind of come close to losing but found a way to pull it out, you know, like against us or other teams earlier in the season. 
you know, they didn't look that great, which is why, even though they were undefeated, they were ranked pretty low by the playoff. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, some other interesting games from this past week. Um, Texas A&M played against Ole Miss, with Texas A&M being ranked a little higher. They actually lost uh, 29-19. And similarly, Auburn played against Mississippi State and lost uh, 43-34. Uh, so some shakeups in kind of that middle range of the SEC. Right, right. Well, and now Ole Miss is looking, looking. I mean, they're they're uh, trending in a very positive way. Hmm. That's true. Meanwhile, Auburn, after you know getting some nice victories in the middle of the season, is kind of back to looking uh, like crap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, it is. Well, and it was you know the classic Alabama playing New Mexico State this past weekend. You know, so they basically have a bye week late in the season, and and playing somebody like a New Mexico State is is almost better than a bye week because you actually get a scrimmage in, and you get to play a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, your second third team guys over the course of the the game, and you can you hold out people who are who are banged up, and you know call them injured, um, and uh, let your your future players, you know, rise to the occasion, and then. Uh, and then you move on down the line to your rivalry game, uh, coming in strong and healthy. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing that for years, and this is no different. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it's clearly worked for them over the years. Um, and uh, the, the big surprising game, big surprising upset, was, of course, uh, Texas versus Kansas. That one actually went into overtime, and Kansas won on the two-point conversion at the end of the game uh, to win 57-56 over Texas. Um, Quite a a shocking game where uh, Texas really played bad. Um, They had two interceptions back-to-back at the end of the uh, second quarter that led to Kansas getting 14 easy points, basically. Um, so it was 35 to 14 at halftime. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up watching that game? I, I, I watched parts of it, but then I turned away from it and then only later saw the score. So, but your, 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 your uncle Mike and, and his wife were there, you know, cause of course they were there to follow KU. So he was like, that's not a bad game to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, he must've been happy cause yeah. Uh, you know, although their defense did give up, you know, obviously Texas came back and eventually tied it up. And so their defense did give up a lot of like big passes, left guys wide open at times. Um, but also getting all those turnovers, you know, and they got right. another turnover right at the end of the game, like in the end zone, I'm pretty sure right next to it. Uh, they got a turnover as Kansas, as Texas was going to tie the game and there was only one minute left in the game. So it's like if their offense comes out and just gets like one or two first downs, it's game over. But apparently they came out and just three and outed and had to punt again. And that's where Texas was able to score with, you know, 40 seconds left or whatever to tie it. Um, and so I think it was probably smart by their coach to go for two because he knew that, you know, Texas was the more talented team and, you know, he had a stake at all yep. on that moment. Right. Well, and Texas at home, right? So, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll always celebrate a Texas loss over here uh, being Nebraska fans. Uh, <laughs> I was surprised to see how empty that stadium was in some of those, uh, the, the footage I was seeing. You know, admittedly, it was near the end of the game where I noticed it. So, you know, some oh, Texas yeah. fans might have been disgusted and just left earlier on. But, uh, yeah, that was a bit shocking. Well, and they did. I mean, it was it was more full than probably what what you were looking at, but 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 the fact is is that yeah, I mean, they're losing their fan base far more rapidly than we've lost ours, you know, because our our deterioration has been over a much longer period of time than theirs. Well, I mean, they're I mean, it's been like a decade for them now, you know, and and fits and starts, admittedly. Oh yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. They're they're, uh, you know, they were in national championships in that 2005, you know, 2006 time frame, 
And then after that is when things started kind of getting weird and they started on their roller coaster of coach after coach after coach, just like us. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, and, uh, of course the other game that we gave a prediction for last week was our upcoming opponent, which is Wisconsin. They were playing against Northwestern this week. And, uh, I predicted that Wisconsin would win uh, 31-14 over Northwestern. You predicted a little closer, uh, 28-17. Uh, but it ended up being a pretty lopsided affair uh, where Wisconsin won 35-7. Right. Well, and and I, I you know I thought Northwestern would you know do their their typical thing, but they're still you know. They, they just haven't yet been able to turn around the corner, you know. Um, they, they're still struggling. Yeah. Well, and uh, obviously Wisconsin's defense was all over them for most of the game. Um, though they did, uh, Northwestern on the opening drive of the game, they drove it down into the end zone um, and then, uh, of course, had to throw an interception in the end zone uh, to Wisconsin. So that's, you know, seven points off the board basically right away. Uh, that they, yeah, that they didn't get. Right. Yeah. Though, ironically, Wisconsin did the same thing later on in the game. They also threw an interception in the end zone. Uh, and Wisconsin had three turnovers in that game, which you'd think they'd lose with. Uh, but what Northwestern had four. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It was just that it was not a very well played game. It was ugly. And that's what I mean. Like, usually by this time of the year, you know, Fitz has got his team operating at a e efficient level, maybe not at the highest level in terms of athletic performance, but in terms of minimum mistakes and executions at a decent level and that sort of stuff. And then they're just getting beat by better players. But he hasn't even, uh, even been able to get that going this season. So it's going to be really interesting uh, um, what happens. But I, I'm going to predict that knowing his history, things are going to go really well. <laughs> next year for for uh, Northwestern. Could be. Um, one thing that I noticed uh, a player to definitely keep our eyes on uh, in our upcoming game is their running back, Braylon Allen. Uh, he had a great day against uh, Northwestern. Uh, looks like one of those guys who's really hard to tackle because he's just so strong. Um, so that's definitely uh, that and their Wisconsin's yep. Uh, really good defense are my two big worries. Well, and and I think Wisconsin's quarterback probably played, settled down and is playing better football than he than he's had than he has before. Um, so, uh, you know, he's been much maligned quarterback, but I have a feeling that he's starting to figure it out. And uh, you know, the game is slowing down a little bit for him. And I just, you know, I don't know if we're ready to start talking about our game, but this. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not seeing very many positives to take out of it for Nebraska. I'll just say that up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the preview for our game a little later. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not looking great. <laughs> I would agree with you there. <laughs> um, some other interesting news on the national side of things, um, on the coaching side of things, uh, Virginia Tech fired their coach. Uh, I believe it was just like yesterday or two days ago. And uh, UConn hired NFL coach Jim Mora. I believe he was also at UCLA in the past. That is correct. He was. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so some shakeups there. Um, and uh, also there's... Oh, and if I, if, I may, if, if I may say something. So Jim Mora uh, for UConn, that's a heck of a hire. Okay, if you're the University of Connecticut, uh, you have some some good history. There have been some periods of time where, where you had a good football team uh, for your league, and you know that sort of thing. Uh, never really uh, significant nationally, but but within your league and stuff, uh, they had had some success, but they have mostly struggled. And so, for them to get a guy like Mora, uh, you know, this is a guy who's obviously trying to rehabilitate his his uh, reputation and build back, so to speak. He's, I think, still a young enough guy that, um, you know, if he were to be successful here, he could then, you know, translate that into a bigger job. 
So you got a guy like that who has the chance to uh, maybe enhance your recruiting, uh, build a little more talent into your into your team, and if he can put together a decent staff, because uh, his dad was an NFL coach for many years. So I mean, he's got all kinds of connections. So he'll be able to put together a good staff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, seems like a good hire for them. Um, you know, these coaches that fail in the NFL, but then come and you know can have more success in the college level. You know, sometimes it's just kind of a a bad match, right? Like that's the deal with Saban, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing, this is not confirmed. It was just uh, reported. Um, but apparently Michigan state is looking to do a contract extension with, uh, Mel Tucker, uh, to up his money to $8 million a year to keep him at Michigan state. Cause he's been, you know, in these rumors about who's going to take the LSU job or the USC job and things like that. Um, so seems like they're, they're willing to put down the big bucks to try to keep him there. Yep. And, and that's what it's going to take. Now, you know, the thing is, is that I wonder if Mel is going to take it because if, if anything, I speculating here that that will cause his representation to try to put some pressure on LSU or anybody else who might be considering him and say, Hey, you need to get on the stick here and let us know where we stand. You know, it's forcing some other people to kind of shit or get off the pot, right? They're going to have to uh, make an offer or at least quietly give them a verbal offer saying, yes, you're our guy. You're the guy we want. And we're willing to, you know, pay that kind of money. Cause I still think that if LSU came a call and, and offered him, eight million dollars a year just like they uh just like michigan state's offering i think he'd jump at the chance to get back into the sec but i could be wrong Mm -hmm. yep we'll have to see there's a lot of you know it's surprising that like you know usc fired clay helton right pretty early in the season and to my knowledge there's been no confirmations of anything so you know they're really waiting to to get the the guys that they want it seems yes exactly and and so that's the that's the weird part about firing somebody early unless you have a plan and a target that is not currently an active coach, meaning a, re- a recently retired coach or somebody who's kind of off, you know, is being an analyst, you know, on TV and uh, and you're ready to jump at him or he's an assistant coach that, you know, is your guy and you're going to go get him and promote him to head coach, you know, something where it's a real easy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise why fire your your coach and create all that disruption and potentially risk your recruiting class let let that guy continue with his efforts i, I don't know it, it's it's going to be interesting it's a little bit like nebraska firing all their offensive assistants uh you know in the middle of the season like they did right after scott's uh announcement well not middle of the season we're we've got two games till the end so we're at the end of the season but you're you're right yeah C- you're Clay, right it's, Clay that, Helton, it's, it's near the end Clay yeah. Helton was fired after like game five or something yeah it was yeah or even earlier yeah I felt like it was game three but maybe it was game five I don't know yeah it was early um speaking of Nebraska um there's been some interesting news uh about us in the bye week and of course, there's been a lot of discussion about Scott's new contract and the fact that he'll be staying on for another year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jojo Doman, who's probably our best player on defense, um, is officially uh, sitting out these last two games. Apparently, he's getting hand surgery. Um, and this wasn't a too big of a shock because we kind of suspected he might do that to try to hold off any further injury and prepare himself to try to go to the NFL and things like that. So makes sense for him as a player, uh, right. but it does hurt us quite a bit. It hurts us a lot. It, that guy was all over the field. He was instinctual. He, he, you know, was leading the team in tackles. I mean, the guy, well, he wasn't leading the team, but he was right near the top. The, the guy's a stud uh, for us. And uh, we're going to miss him greatly. And I guarantee you, guarantee you, because uh, Wisconsin has great coaches, they're going to be attacking whoever is taking his place. 
and I'm not exactly sure. There's a couple of guys that I th- that I thought they were considering for for that role. So we'll see what happens. But that's a big deal. Um, but what's interesting is I also saw today that he is planning. So his hand surgery, he's a, he he's expecting recovery to happen sufficiently so that he can play in the Senior Bowl, which is you know an NFL tryout, if you will, right? Like it's the Senior Bowl is coached by NFL coaches and uh, all the uh, um, evaluation staffs are there and watching every practice. I mean, it's a big deal for somebody who wants to play in the NFL. So he's choosing to play in that game, you know, which I believe Senior Bowl usually happens in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I believe I saw that he's still going to be like on the sidelines in the game. You know, he's still going to be trying to be a leader on the defense and all that. Right. Um, but, of course, there's only so much you can do not being out, being out there to actually make plays. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he's still not playing. So, uh, but, but uh, in this case, and given how our season has unfolded and everything else, uh, the way it is today, uh, I, I think what he's doing is, is going to become normal uh, and not unexpected. One piece of good news is that um, apparently Deontay Williams has been doing good on his injury recovery and maybe back for the Wisconsin game. So that would be a defensive player uh, to help us. So let's hope that actually happens. Yes. Well, but his backup has actually played pretty well. So that's good for, you know, indicating that we have some depth because obviously he's, he's a senior and will be gone after this year. Um, but, uh, um, it was good to see um, that we had a little depth there when he was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the bad news. Uh, running back Sevion Morrison uh, has apparently left the team. Um, now, I don't really recognize his name much because I don't think he's gotten many touches this season, so it doesn't feel like a huge hit, but um, still ne- not not a great sign. Right. It's a It's a hit in that, you know, again, that running back room, it was uh, an enigma because um, we, we couldn't figure it out because there was so much talent there uh, in that room uh, in terms of how, what those guys were. This, this uh, Sevian Morris uh, left uh, high school in Oklahoma as the, the leader in rushing yards, the leader in touchdowns, the leader in all-purpose yards. I mean, this, this guy had like, he has every record in the state of Oklahoma. And, oh, by the way, Oklahoma's produced more than its share of Heisman Trophy winners and great NFL quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera, over the course of the many, many years uh, that that program has existed. And so for someone to come from the state of Oklahoma with that kind of pedigree, and he never saw the field in Lincoln. So I don't know what his deal was. I don't know if it was the effort thing or if it was that our coach, Coach Held, just didn't the eye to eye with him and maybe there was an issue uh, between those two guys I, I, I just don't know but he is a very talented football player that just never saw the lot of day at Nebraska so it was probably a good thing for him to leave you know what I mean like he he needed to go get a fresh start somewhere else um, and see what happens I would love to have had him stick around uh, and and go with coach once the uh, Ryan Held got fired but he uh, apparently decided that there were still enough guys, you know, in the log jam ahead of him. He didn't want to take the risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And on the previous podcast, we were kind of wondering uh, what Scott was going to do about the fact that we didn't have any uh, remaining offensive coaches, you know, to help uh, coach us in these last couple games. But Pretty immediately after we recorded that, uh, the news came out about who our interim coaches would be. Uh, we've got Steve Cooper for quarterback, Ron Brown for running back, uh, Frank Verducci for offensive line, and uh, Mike Casanow for uh, wide receiver. Right. And, and those are all guys that have been in the program as analysts and other uh, roles uh, all season. And so they're not new guys coming in. And you might recognize the, the name Ron Brown, particularly because he coached with Coach Osborne, uh, coached under uh, uh, Frank Solich, coached under um, um, uh, Pellini, 
so he has been a fixture at Nebraska for many, many years. And Scott Frost brought him back when he uh, rejoined the staff um, in a, <clears throat> kind of a support role, you know, for uh, supporting the, the student athletes because Ron's such a, a high character guy. So, but every position he's ever coached, he's coached run, running backs before, tight ends, wide receivers, no matter who it was, they always were great. Uh, so I think that'll be good. And I think Ron understands, and I hope and expect to see a more logical and, and, and reasonable uh, running back rotation. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about what I think is just the complete stupidity and idiocy of how we uh, rotated running backs during the course of a game. Uh, and it was just a head scratcher. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprising. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of had, it's been a little, it took them a while to kind of figure out who the, the proper guy was um, that they wanted to be the go-to guy. But once they did, it was kind of thing where we were giving it to him all the time. It felt like. Right. Well, and, and, and yet it, it didn't, it didn't make any sense based on, uh, game performance you know um we had a guy who you know broke out against northwestern and then over the course of the next four games he gets a total of like 15 carries um and uh hardly sees the field right so yeah what's going on you know he was he was a ghost he had he had one big performance he struggled in, in another game where he did he did fumble a ball one time and all of a sudden he's a ghost again and and he has demonstrated some skills that no one else in our group has so mhm yeah so we'll we'll see how that uh plays out in these last two games um another interesting thing that was revealed was that um Scott has said that he is not going to be the play caller for the offense uh going forward into next year um, he's lo- looking for an offensive coordinator who he can trust to handle that responsibility. Um, he did mention that there wouldn't be any wholesale changes to the offense, so don't expect us to suddenly go to running the ball, you know, 70% of the time. You know, it's still probably going to be like Scott's offense, but I'm curious to see what the tweaks and adjustments that will be made there. Uh, yeah, and that is the big, that is going to be the the hire that gets the most attention from the Nebraska fan base and and probably the national media as well is because Scott is going to be finding somebody that supposedly he's going to have to have enough confidence in that he can come in here and turn it over, right? He's not going to be calling the plays at all is his intention. And that's going to be a hard transition for Scott. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I think w- one that he's consciously trying to make so he can, you know, pay more attention to other facets of you know his team right you know trying to do the more ceo style of being a head coach right correct that's that's his intention uh we'll see how that plays out though um i'm not convinced Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Um, the other interesting thing I saw was that some more details about the his revised contract came out. And apparently uh, October 1st, 2022 is the date where the price for if we were to fire him, basically after that date, his price is cut in half from like 30 million to 15 million or whatever, you know, the the, the numbers are. Um, and that's after the sixth game, which is Indiana. So it seems like that was kind of the deal that Alberts struck with him was that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do kind of a judgment of your new performance of this new staff after the sixth game, the midpoint of the season. Well, that, that just gives uh, the athletic department the option that if this is not trending well for them to go ahead and start moving in another direction, if they need to, uh, rather than having to wait till the end of the season, um, but it's going to make it very difficult for Scott to hire quality assistants. Um, I mean, he's basically going to have to hire guys that are willing to be mercenaries who are going to take, take the money and run, so to speak, and, uh, and, and try to be a part of, of, of a revival that then uh, you know, leads to something great, right? Be a, a phenomenal story that they'll run on ESPN you know, game day and stuff when they talk about how Scott was on the brink and then turn it around in 2022 and now here we are and Nebraska's you know 
competing for a Big Ten championship in 2024 or something like that. That's the hope, right? That's the hope. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and as I mentioned in the previous podcast, I think Scott can also say, you know, we're not expecting you to be competing for, you know, Big Ten National Championship, you know, next year. Right. You know, let's plan on with the goal of like getting to at least seven wins. Right. You know, and obviously fans will still be frustrated, I'm sure, at the games that we lose and things like that. But if we're seeing the actual improvement on the field and actually being able to close out these close games that we've constantly lost under Scott. I think that'll be enough of an improvement to say, okay, we're moving in the right direction. Let's see what they can do in 2023. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like Scott has to win every game, but he has to get to a bowl game and he has to have measurable improvement uh, in all aspects of his program. Recruiting, uh, you know, uh, offense, defense, and particularly kicking game. Right. For sure. Um, so we talked a bit about, um, obviously we've talked a bit about the changes to our player base, who our interim coaches are, um, how Wisconsin performed against Northwestern. So now we can get into our proper preview of that Nebraska Northwestern game. And as I mentioned, um, there, I feel like our defense, you know, although the lack of Jojo may, uh, dampen what we've been able to do so far this season. Um, but I think we're good enough that we'll be able to definitely slow Wisconsin down. And the fact that they had, you know, three turnovers in that game against Northwestern, you know, a team that we actually beat more badly than they did. Um, I feel like we will, we'll be able to have some chances on off uh, through our defense, you know, to be able to slow them down or maybe get a turnover or two. Um, my real question mark though, is can our offense with an injured uh, Martinez and all the issues we've had against way worse defenses uh, be able to get anything done against this defense, which is one of the best in the country. Yeah. I, I don't see the path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's at Wisconsin as well. Right. It's at Wisconsin. They smell the blood in the water. Uh, they're going to be so fired up and trust me, that coach wants to crush us. He wants to put a hurting on Nebraska. He wants to hang 50 on us plus. So they're going to make every effort to do that. And the, the thing about the turnovers is that's because they were trying to throw the football. They were trying to develop their team uh, during uh, the Northwestern game, in my opinion. That's not actually true, though, because there was, there was the one turnover that was an interception, and that was like in the end zone. That was pretty bad. The other two, though, were both fumbles. One was off of oh. a um, – uh, the – you know, the quarter, the running back was running back to the quarterback to, you know, get the ball or whatever. Um, and the handoff right. was screwy and the ball just popped right out. So, um, okay. there might be something. Well, that's to an that. execution error. Yeah, there might be, there might be, but uh, that just never happens for Nebraska. I just, in terms of turnovers, I just haven't seen that in years. It used to happen all the time when we had good defenses, but I haven't seen it. And even this defense, which has been good, has not necessarily been excellent at getting turnovers. Um, they've just been okay. Uh, but I, I can guarantee you Wisconsin's going to try to drive it down our throats if they can. Um, we'll see if we're able to bow up and stop them uh, and force them to be maybe a little bit more one-dimensional, get them to third and longs and that sort of stuff. I think the whole key for Nebraska will be having success early. We have to have some success early, both defense and offense, and of course, kicking game. We just have to play clean and effective early to make it look like we have a we still can compete on the field. And if we can do that, then maybe the confidence builds. If if things don't go well, I believe that the mental again we're, we're we remain China dolls, and we're going to break China doll. And then the the mental psyche is going to be a problem. And we'll, it'll spiral into ugliness. Right. Well, it's the interesting thing, though, is that we're, we are China dolls in that we cannot be clutch. You know, we cannot come through when the game is close and we have a chance to win and we always fall apart near the end, it feels like. Um, but we've managed right. to remain competitive, you know, with all these teams that are ranked higher than us. And we've kept talking 
multiple times on different podcasts about, oh, is this where Scott loses the team? And they just give up, you know, and we get blown out totally, you know, and that right. hasn't happened in, in, right. in, in any of the games so far. So we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're a China doll, but we're pretty tough as China dolls go, I guess you could say. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know that you're, you're right, Alex, especially this season, because we have had a pretty salty defense. We've hung in there. Right. And those guys have played hard. The effort has never been an issue. That's that. I will say that. Right. Well, except maybe for, I forget which was it the Minnesota game, like right after the game with Northwestern or wherever, where Scott said, yeah, we yeah. came out flat, you know, and it was like, what, how'd that happen? Yeah. Right. That's not, uh, yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah. And, and even if it was true, that should have never got out of the locker room. It should have never gotten into the media. Scott never should have mentioned it. The fact that players were mentioning it tells me that the coaches were mentioning it and, and recognizing it. Uh, to me, that's the kind of thing that absolutely positively cannot happen uh, when you're in Nebraska situation. There is no, no rightly uh, situation where you can take a game off or take a, a, a game lightly and not be fired up to play. You're not good enough to do that. Right. Very true. Um, so giving a prediction for this game, um, I'm going to be uh, probably a little more optimistic one, you know, which is not uh, uncommon here on the podcast. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that we lose, uh, but that we play competitive, you know, and that we do manage to maybe get some points early um, and take advantage of this bye week. You know, hopefully we can do that when we didn't last time. Um, and uh and show that we've still got some fight left in us, you know, and carry that into that Iowa game, who is a worse team than Wisconsin, and hopefully we actually can beat. So that's going to be my hope. Uh, so I'll say that we uh, we score, say, um, let's say it's 17 points for Nebraska, and Wisconsin has uh, 24. Okay. My prediction is that, well, there, there's a couple of ways this can go. Obviously, there are circumstances that have happened where a coach, or in this case, a group of coaches gets fired, uh, but the team is able to rally and, and, you know, because of some leadership and a good culture, they're able to, you know, rise above it and play, you know, one of their best games, even in light of the negative circumstances. We have had two weeks. So you'd like to think that maybe they've had a chance to get healthy a little bit and, uh, you know, get those guys fired up about the fact that, hey, we're Nebraska and we want to get better. Um, but I don't believe that that particular alternative is going to happen. I think the opposite is more likely to happen. I think at some point during this game, we are going to see that 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 raise your hands in the air, uh, wave the white flag and concede that, OK, this season's shot um, uh, unless things go really well early, like I mentioned earlier. So my prediction for a score is 38 Wisconsin, 13 Nebraska, and that'll probably include uh, you know a couple of made field goals and three missed field goals. So Nebraska's <laughs> going to move the ball on them, but then we'll miss three field goals, and uh, but we won't have huge numbers because their defense is too good, and their defensive uh, line is going to be eating Adrian alive, and uh, Adrian won't do squat, and he'll end up making mistakes that will lead to some of those scores. So 38 to 13 okay or worse <laughs> or worse got it i've got um <laughs> three missed field goals written down here so we'll see okay what comes of that <laughs> yeah yeah um th then for week 12 of college football and the wider scheme of things um there are a couple interesting games um wake forest is playing against clemson at home for clemson uh, and Clemson's actually, or Wake Forest rather, is actually the higher ranked team there. Um, they've been putting up some crazy scores uh, here in recent weeks. Yeah. Um, do you think that uh, Clemson buckles down and takes care of them, you know, as they should? Or do you think uh, Wake Forest will uh, kick them while they're down, at, so as it were? Ah, uh, well... Uh, you know, this would be the year, and Wake Forest has definitely been playing well. But again, did Wake Forest just recently lost to North Carolina? Did they not? Um, they definitely they didn't lose last week. Uh, in week no, 11. but it was I think it was two I think it was two weeks ago. So uh, here's the thing: 
Clemson has more talent, but Clemson doesn't have a quarterback who's, who's playing and executing at a high level. And frankly, you need that. So I'm going to say that Wake Forest wins this game, but it ends up being a nail-biter. I think it's going to be super tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are, we guessing a, are we guessing a score on this one? Uh, no, actually, we're saving that for the, the big game in the Big Ten this week. Okay, very good. So, but I, I, I'll just say that I think, I think Clemson loses, but it's close. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I'll, I'll go in and have some hope since it's at home. You know, if it was out Wake Forest, I'd probably feel differently. But since it's at home, I'm going to say that it's close, but Clemson wins and they dig deep and, you know, are able to uh, maybe get a little bit of momentum going into the off season, you know, even though they'll, they'll go to a, a you know, more minor bowl and, you know, a disappointing result for them instead of going to a national championship game. But um, hopefully they can take some positivity off of that into next year. You know, Alex, that's a really good take. Uh, you know, your, yours is probably way better than mine. Mine's a take built on frustration uh, watching Clemson play so piss poor this year. Um, uh, you know, a team that we've both grown to respect watching over the years. Uh, their quarterback play has just been so ragged. It's, it kind of reminds me of Nebraska. So. <laughs> there you go. I did think, I don't know if you saw this in the uh, Michigan game uh, against Penn State, but there was a play where Penn State punted it off, and one of Michigan's guys who was like blocking a Penn State guy ran into the guy who was supposed to recover the punt, and so they just fell into a pile and Penn yes. state ended up getting the stopping the ball right at the one yard right. line. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Yep. That was quite the play. Yeah. That was quite the play. I was like, even Nebraska is wow. not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, Oregon's playing against Utah. Um, Utah is ranked 24th in the country. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, they're a bit down, um, this year, but, that's still, you know, a game that we've seen them pull the upset off against Oregon in the past. So we'll have to see if they can be the spoiler makers this year. Do you happen to have the list of Pac-12 games in front of you? I was wondering who um, Arizona State was playing this weekend. Hmm. I'll do a quick search on that, I guess. Yeah, it's a, I know it's an away game, but I thought it was Oregon. But you're telling me Oregon's playing Utah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Oregon State. Oh, it's Oregon State. Ah, okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's Arizona State should win that one. And then uh, the big game, which is the one we'll give our prediction for, is of course uh, Michigan State versus Ohio State. Um, it is at home for Ohio State. Um, and uh, but obviously, you know, Michigan State's proven to be uh, a tough opponent. And Ohio State's kind of you know struggled in some games this year. Um, so it is definitely doable, I think, for Michigan State if they, uh, you know, can execute well and, you know, not make mistakes. You know, if they come out and, you know, give up some early interceptions or something, I think Ohio State takes control and runs away with it. Uh, but if MSU can play clean, I think that they've got a, a, a pretty good shot to, uh, maybe pull out the upset. Wow. Okay. Well, interesting. Well, uh, so um, my thought, and then we're going to come back around and give numbers, right, um, is uh, I think uh, Michigan State is going to score some points on Ohio State. I will concede you that, that, that uh, Michigan State will be able to move the football. They're going to be able to score some points. So I'm going to say Michigan State's going to score, you know, let's say around three touchdowns and maybe a field goal, something like that. But I think... Ohio State's offense is finally really finding itself. And this is a game at Ohio State. It's not in East Lansing. If it was in East Lansing, I'd definitely have Ohio State on, on upset alert. But since it's in uh, Buckeye land, I think the Buckeyes uh, show up and perform well on offense particularly and end up simply outscoring Michigan State. So it's going to end up being a little higher scoring game, but um, – I'll go ahead and give you my number. I think it's going to end up being like 49-24. Wow. Okay. Interesting. 49-24. Okay. Oh, well, Ohio State obviously winning. Yes. I got that part. <laughs> um, 
I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and predict that Ohio State wins. Uh, but I'm going to predict that it's going to be much closer that Michigan State will make it a, a dogfight down to the end. Um, I'll go a little lower scoring and say that it ends up being uh, Ohio State, let's say uh, 38 to Michigan State 28. Yeah, let's go with that. 38-28 Ohio State wins. Yes. That's a good, that's a good score. That's not that much more than mine, really, when you think about it. Mine's 49. I'm just adding 11 more points, so that's a couple of, couple of touchdowns, one less field goal. Um, so right. not a big difference. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always view if you're within, like, 10 points of a team, you know, then you played them pretty close versus if it's, you know, right. 14 or more, oh, yeah. you know, it's a little bit. 21 or 24, yeah. Yep. We, you, well, I remember something you said to me very early on in my time of watching football was three scores was the magic number. If you're three scores ahead of your opponent, then you're in pretty good shape. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. That's true. I still believe that. <laughs> yep. Okay. So I have watched the, or done this, uh, out here uh, outside and what's incredible is, and maybe they've been doing this every night and I just didn't know it, but we have a bunch of uh, fighter jets. The, we're, we're fairly close to Luke Air Force Base and the F-22s uh, squadron is there. And uh, I think they have some sound deadening things because there are planes that are just zipping by us and I don't hear them at all. Like they have no sound. <laughs> and mm. I saw three helicopters fly right over the top of us while I was doing podcast. I was wondering if it was going to disrupt us. Didn't hear them at all. Oh, wow. Totally silent helicopter. <laughs> there we go. And they're doing some kind of night, night thing. Ah, well, there you go. Some cool, cool insights from you uh, being outside as we yeah. close out this podcast. Exactly. Right. <laughs> there we go. All right. God bless America. <laughs> That's right. So if you out there enjoyed this podcast, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You also reach out to us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can leave us a reading or review there. Um, let us know what you think of the podcast, what we can improve on, things of that nature. So thank you all out there for listening. And thank you, Dad, for joining me for this particular episode. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.